Welcome to Between the Covers, the show for readers and writers and lovers of books. I'm Stephanie, and I'm a publisher at Red Penguin Books, where we publish books of all types and genres. So if you have a book in your head, something already saved on your hard drive, or maybe even 300 sheets of loose leaf shoved in a drawer, and yes, at least once a month, I get a huge envelope mailed to me with hundreds of sheets of loose leaf to type. Uh, please visit us at redpenguinbooks.com and unleash your inner author. I'm so excited to be joined by some talented authors who have completely unleashed themselves, that's for sure. Our first author, Stephen Hyman, is the author of Greetings, Planet Earth. And the author writes book one of the Jack Gripper series. Aliens are here and they want our chocolate. It is up to Jack to save the planet and stop a galactic war. Jack Gripper loves playing pranks and eating pizza. But when he's tasked with selecting an alien species to mentor Earth for the next 100 years, he'd better make the right call or the Earth is doomed. Can he overcome obstacles and diabolical plots to pick the right alien? And just as important, can chocolate and pizza survive an alien encounter? Please welcome author Steve Heinemann. Thanks for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. My goodness gracious, I can't be reading book descriptions like that before dinner because I'm starving. <laughs> there's a fair amount of food involved in the book for sure it yeah. sounds like it and this is book one does that mean that book two is going to be like mozzarella and calamare and book three is going to be you know bagels and lox where, where are we going with no this? i found something else to focus on besides food i can't be food centric entirely i mean books have to evolve and grow and uh no, book one takes place on planet Earth. Book two, some of it does, but some of it doesn't. And uh, that's definitely not the focus. Some but, of it yeah, book two is called yeah. Help, I Lost My Planet. <laughs> that's a pretty scary thing to lose one's planet, isn't it? It, it is. I actually could have titled Help, I Lost My uh, Galaxy, but I thought that was a little too big. But it, it actually is quite, quite a large... Uh, scope that the book encompasses for sure is it sort of like help i've lost my pizza or no <laughs> help i lost my pizza i'm not familiar. <laughs> well, i never lose pizza that's too important that's like losing gold i agree and chocolate i don't lose chocolate yeah. so they're two of earth's commodities and so where, where did this idea come from were you hungry like me one night were you shopping were you craving food <clears throat> how does an idea like this come to your head Ideas like that aren't something that you just kind of plop into your head, really. And that's kind of the way the book happened. I was honestly writing my first book ever. It was the start of COVID. And uh, like a lot of other people, I was probably a little depressed. <laughs> and um, so I was out of my daily walk trying to figure out how to navigate um, this really dark dystopian novel that I was beginning as a first-time author uh, <laughs> where, you know, the, the lead character's uh, scientist friend, they just made a, a discovery. He was killed and it's like, oh my God, what have I started, right? Mm -hmm. I'm out of my daily walk and this, I was like, why am I writing this 
such a, a depressing book, right? I stopped and so I was just like the whole idea plopped in my head. Very much the same way that the, some of the ideas in the book happen. I don't necessarily, I don't map out what happens between point A and point B in my book. That's up to the characters and the situation and the randomness of my brain. I grew up on Marx Brothers, Monty Python, Fire Sign Theater, those types of just spoofy, zany, like what kind of non sequitur type of, of humor, so. So I guess my real question should be, what on earth inspired that dystopian novel that you were working on? <laughs> because knowing you now and hearing this, this makes sense, the dystopian novel. <laughs> it, it, you're right, it doesn't. I'm a huge fan of, of science fiction as well as fantasy and humor and classics and, and everything else. And um, I don't know, I just I think my brain was a bit dark and my spirit was a bit dark at the time. And that's just what came out. I didn't map it out. I didn't know. I was a very much a newbie author as a novelist. I had done a lot of creative writing, a lot of um, content writing, a lot of journalistic writing previously and had always wanted to write a book, but hadn't, you know, tackled it. And COVID gave me the opportunity. And then, yeah, so that's that was the first attempt. And that was about three chapters in, like 8,000 words, I think. And just was like, oh. I don't know if I want to do this. And that's why I started to question if that was really the right book. Exactly. And this, this whole story was just literally gifted to me in a momentary flash. Did, yeah. did you ever finish that dystopian novel or did you use it for firewood? Um, you know, it's funny that you should bring it up. I hadn't considered it in a year and a half. Really? And I was thinking about it right before this interview. And I was like, huh. I wonder if I'll ever get back to that. And I, I don't know that I, I will. And I was thinking if I did, I probably will tweak it a little bit. And not to say that dystopian novels don't have their place. I mean, right, right. but um, that wasn't what I wanted to create at the time. I was hoping uh, to make myself happier by doing something creative and also share that more inspirational, aspirational vision. And I won't say it's utopian necessarily, but it certainly paints a, a a more positive picture about where we could go than in the midst of, of a global crisis right, right. we were facing, you know, existentially at the time. And I don't, I don't think we've escaped those questions. They've been a bit removed now. We're kind of like a little bit laissez-faire about COVID and the global situation, less so than we were when the focus was on from that. So that that's where my, my mind is at. Well, as somebody who 20 minutes ago got a, positive COVID test result. I can, <laughs> I'm so I can tell you that we're not as out of the woods as we thought we were. Right? No, we're, we're not. You win. Wayne wins <laughs> for the, wow. That's the best opening um, line I've had a guest come out with in a long time. <laughs> I hope it goes well for you. <laughs> you know. Good. He looks good so far. You look, yeah, you look like you're Never underestimate the power of denial. <laughs> It is so underrated as a defense mechanism. I, I know denial is uh, denial and ice cream. I think that those two huge yeah, pizza and chocolate. Well, I was going to say the aliens are coming for the pizza and chocolate. So you got to yeah. keep your denial foods close. So, <laughs> I, I will say they, they didn't know about the pizza 
the chocolate had a reputation for, for sure. Um, the pizza was a bit of a discovery during the book and kind of a, a secret weapon from, from the protagonist, but. Um, well, Wayne, it's very funny. I was just talking to, to us before we started about how back before COVID, you, we would all be sitting on a couch right now with a glass of wine. I'm like, yeah, glad we're on Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah, but you're, you're looking good. You're looking very. You are. Good. Is this your first go around with it? Because like. Yeah, yeah, it is. I had dodged it for two and a half years, and was feeling. I was actually feeling very smug and self satisfied, <laughs> which is why the universe decided to. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. To slap me upside the head, but I'm, I, I I'm fine. In the great cosmic scheme of things, I'm fine. Right, right. I have, I have one son who has somehow managed to dodge it no matter what. He's literally roomed with people coughing on him. And- you know, Yeah? Yeah, I've somehow escaped it entirely. I was just actually in LA and I left and three of my relatives had it. I came home, tested, and nothing. My bride has actually escaped it. Her test came back negative, so. Wow, wow. I, I, I escaped. I had ended up, my husband had it and I ended up with positive test results, but no, nothing. I just had the positive test results. So evidently, you know. And, and I'm sure your listeners are riveted <laughs> by, my, oh, no, by you, my personal nightmare. You're, you're, you're well, I, I, I think <laughs> you're it's right part of the, it's the tip of the iceberg of the cascading series of, of, crises that our planet is going to continue to face. I mean, that's just the reality, it might be. And that's why Steve writes about the aliens and taking over and all that other stuff, because it's just going to keep cascading into infinity, isn't it? There's a certain logic that says they can have it. I mean, that's very true. I mean, you know, I'm sure that they're right there on the edge of looking down saying, yeah, I don't think we want it right now. <laughs> aliens getting COVID? I, I think they're just like, yeah, you know what? We'll wait kind of like that whole survival of the fittest and see how this whole thing plays out. And then we'll go in. That's that's what they're thinking. But but Wayne, we're glad you joined us from sunny Las Vegas. Uh, while we're talking about COVID, Steve, Steve mentioned that, that this was, you know, the first time you were writing novels, Steve, was during COVID, like here I am. Uh, yeah. You mentioned you're in Portland, Oregon. And I'm sorry, that's kind of dreary even on a good day, isn't it? Oh, a bit. I mean, we get a fair amount of sunshine. We don't get rain all the time. Okay, only 364 yeah. days a year you get rain? No. <laughs> it's not that bad. Oh, okay. And, and actually, the climate has been changing significantly. We've been getting more sunshine, less rain. Okay. Again, uh, part, as part of the change to Wayne, in the world. Wayne has not seen a raindrop in, you know, seven years. Decade, right. <laughs> it's been a bit. It's been a minute. Yeah, it's well, definitely been a minute, that's for sure. I seem to remember a pretty heavy flooding rain not that long ago in Las Vegas, actually. Well, that's true, because it really shocked people. It's it's like when it snows. Now, I'm in New York. Um, it, it could snow, you know, a foot and nobody even notices. It snows a quarter of an inch down in Atlanta, Georgia, and they have to close the whole city for an emergency because they don't know what. what it's all about perspective, isn't it? It is. And that's why if it rains in Vegas, they all melt because they're just 
it never happens. They're just so not used to it. <laughs> so, so pandemic hit and Steve, you were, you were sitting there saying, oh, what should I do? I should write a dystopian novel and just like bury myself even deeper. And then finally, this little spark of nah, nah, let's pull you out of this came about. And I'm so, I, I feel very blessed and honored that it did. It became a joy to write the book and it kind of tumbled out. Um, now, so. when, when did you know it was going to be I mean, you're flat out calling it book one, which means you're, I don't know if you've, have you written book two yet? Uh, yeah, book two is on the shelves. Book three okay. is underway. Okay, okay. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, so when, about halfway, you know? halfway through or so, as the character started to, to develop, the protagonist starts off in a very juvenile, self-centered, like you're not that crazy about him, mm -hmm. but he ends up, revealing himself as a very deep, uh, thoughtful, caring uh, person. And his universe expands, obviously, tremendously. And he's exposed to all these elements and forces. And um, It forced me to think deeper about where the book was going to go and what it really meant. And it's, on the surface, the book is extremely silly and goofy. But uh, as it reflects my personality, my upbringing and, and influence. I was also very deeply influenced by a lot of spiritual works in my younger days and and uh, things like Seven Feathers with Native American information and Ram Das with, um, you know, that kind of mystical stuff. And then, you know, things like uh, Siddhartha and Jonathan Livingston Siegel. Those were very influential as I grew up. And there's always been a part of me that like, we need to connect with the full part of our being. And, and Jack had that same experience. Right. And so it, you know, the character evolved and the themes evolved as well. And I realized there's no way I'm going to tackle this in one book. And I don't want to, because I want to continue writing. I was having fun. Well, it made sense to um, ride the coattails of book one, you know, to continue instead of having to start from scratch. What's my next idea? So Exactly. And, you know, it, it, the world building aspect or universe building aspect, if you will, is one of the funner parts of it to imagine what these things could be like. And I think it's also one of the reasons that we should be writing uh, speculative fiction of all kinds is to imagine what the human condition would be like in these different circumstances so that we can, you know, kind of inoculate ourselves to them right? and, right. and, and thereby grow. That's the purpose of, of art of all kinds, by Absolutely, absolutely. Not to mention when you're talking about multiple books and world building, uh, every single book marketer in the world will tell you um, if one is good, two is better, and three is best, write a trilogy. <laughs> yes, I'm working with someone and, and he's like, get that third book done as soon as you can because that box set is where you want to be. Absolutely. People like, they like continuity, they like to know the full story, they get engaged with the characters in a way and you know, I like that too. I love long books. My books aren't that long, so I have to I have to write a series. You have to write so lots. I have, of I have a, that's okay. <laughs> yeah, I have another series or another novel that I've started as well that is more in the fantasy realm because, like I said, my my influences are diverse. I don't want to be stuck in just the comic uh, genre, but so okay. we'll see when that. I'm hopeful to have that done in 2023 as well. We'll see. You know what life allows me to do exactly uh, not a full-time author unfortunately yet not yet 
But not yet. Next time you come on the show, you will be. I, I believe that to be true. That's the hope. That sounds good to me. And we'll definitely have you on when the next ones are released. Uh, our next author, straight from Vegas and COVID, uh, Wayne Turmel is the author of Johnny Lichen and the Vegas Berserker. And our author writes, America's favorite werewolf private investigator is off to Las Vegas. What could go wrong? Life is good for Johnny Lupel. He has a steady gig and a growing reputation as a guy who gets things done. He's even learning to keep his lichen side under control, most. But when he's sent to Sin City on a simple retrieval job, things go sideways. He bumps up against a coven of unconventional witches, a psychic pawnbroker, and a mysterious enemy with a secret darker and more violent than his own. Take a bite out of the exciting second book in this gritty urban fantasy noir series. Please welcome author Wayne Turmel. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having us. Oh, us? You, you're speaking in the, the papal we there? Is, is Steve not here? I mean, you are having us. us? This okay, is a, okay. This is a party. This I, is thought, a... I thought maybe Thank you Thank you for being inclusive, Wayne. Yes, that was I lovely. try, brother. I try. I, I swear I do. It's, I wasn't sure. I, I have learned at my advanced age, it's not all about me. Oh, stop. You're not that old. <laughs> Unless you're going to tell me that that dry air is doing it for you, that's for sure. <laughs> so this is book two so we we are, are, are well on our way towards that trilogy huh book three is under construction uh book one i was here a while ago telling you all about the wonder that was that Absolutely. and uh this is my this was basically written during the <laughs> kind of covid uh First, first COVID 1.0. How, how uh, many books were written during COVID? It's unbelievable. Really, COVID not inspired as many, a lot. Not of as new many artists. as people expected to. I think when when the the shutdown came, everybody was like, "Oh, I'm going to take this time and I'm going to be constructive and I'm going to finally write that novel because I have time." And as it turns out, existential dread is not as good for the creative juices as people <laughs> thought it was going to be. I mean, I get that. Although I feel like every interview I do is, begins with, so we were locked down, so I thought I'd write a book. I mean, <laughs> there's a lot of COVID books out there. It's, it's like the Renaissance. It, well, but don't forget the first novel, the first Renaissance novel was the Decameron, which was written during a plague. Exactly, exactly. So there's like Renaissance and plague all mashed together here. You know? <laughs> and, and that may be the only time Boccaccio and I are used in the same sentence at the same time, uh, but I will take it. So tell us about Johnny Lycan and the Vegas Berserker. This is, this is so much fun. Um, you know, my first three novels were historical fiction and they were very kind of serious and, and whatever. And then I made this left turn into urban fantasy and I'm just having so much fun. Johnny is a really fun character to write. It lets my silly side out a little bit, even though it's violent and scary and whatever, <laughs> there's a lot of humor in it. And what's nice about this book, the first book is very Chicago, takes place in Chicago. 
And as somebody who moved from Chicago to Vegas, this was fun because I got to use my Chicago eyes to look at Las Vegas. Nice. And, you know, people either love this town or hate it. Turns out Johnny's not a fan. <laughs> so fun I, when you get to, I get to write all the snarky stuff about Vegas that uh, Midwesterners often think and most people don't say out loud. I, so I, it's actually a lot of fun. I, I do love that. And Steven, you were saying, isn't it fun when, you're, when your character has his own like opinion and taste? And isn't that interesting? <laughs> but it's, it's funny about that because I've gotten in trouble for things that Johnny has said or whatever. And <laughs> I, I want to just put it at the beginning of the book, you know, the opinions of the characters are not necessarily those of the management. <laughs> That's right. a very good disclaimer. I, I personally would never use a certain word that Johnny might. He's 30, he's young, he's a blue collar Chicago kid. He may speak differently than the 60 year old Canadian. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Wait a minute, Canadian? Where are you from originally? Originally, a little town outside Vancouver. I know Portland very well, actually. Oh, so you're all used to rain up there. Yeah, that's why I live where there are 300 days of sun. This is a <laughs> conscious choice. Even with my flammable Canadian skin, I prefer here. <laughs> Do you have a spare room? Because when Steve gets tired of being, you know, moist all the time, he might need to go someplace. <laughs> we have been we have been known to serve as a stopping point for people. Listen to that. Very good. Well, oh, I'll keep that in mind. Wayne. Oh, so from Canada to Chicago, well, that was like, you know, more of the same, just a little more snow. There is not enough beer on the planet to tell the story of my journey. Uh, but, the, you know, I, I left Canada. I was actually a professional stand-up comic for almost 20 years, which is what brought me to LA. And then I married my bride and then we moved to Chicago and now we're here. And, you know, all of that shows up in my work somehow. <laughs> and here you are writing urban fiction like wow how did that how did the writing come about well I've written all my life I mean I started well, writing for my sure. act writing jokes and then I I tried to be a writer in Hollywood and had a couple of screenplays option but nothing got made and so I joined the real world and I actually wrote several nonfiction books and I've been writing my whole career for business and then in 2014 I basically said even though I've got all these books out and I've been published and I'm never going to be a real writer until I do a novel mm. and I wrote my first novel Count of the Sahara and then hot on the heels of that were the Luca Lapu stories, Acra's Bastard and Acra's Orphans. And just when I started to get a little bit of a reputation for historical fiction, I said, no, let's blow it all up and tell this silly story about a werewolf detective. <laughs> now, you try living in this brain. You, you see what it's like. Was it a dream? Was it too much beer? Was it a shadow in your backyard? I actually... I've always been, werewolves have always been my favorite horror trope, always. Uh, it goes back to when I was a kid. I remember distinctly, I was 13, babysitting my cousin. And uh, Cairo TV out of Seattle 
uh, used to show chiller horror theater, you know, with the fake vampire and the whatever, showing horror films. And I remember seeing Curse of the Werewolf with Oliver Reed, which was this old Hammer film. And, you know, I think every 13-year-old thinks he has a scary rage monster inside of him trying to get out. And that's just kind of stuck with me. So werewolves were always my favorite. And this sounds corny, but I literally did have a dream one night about a fight between a werewolf and a gangster. And I woke up and went, oh, that was cool. <laughs> and that was kind of the origins of Johnny. It was like, what if Jack Reacher was a werewolf? Wow, that's true. What if? Do we know he's not? He's big and hairy. He might be. That's, you know, hmm. just saying. Just saying is right. Just saying. <laughs> so you wrote the first book. This is the second. Is there more? What goes on there? there? Well, there is. There's a third book. And so that will do the arc. Oh, yeah. Um, Three book arc that we all have to do. Yeah. So it's like if I walk away forever, it's not unsatisfying. With the two Luca books, they're really, I guess there could have been a third, uh, but it didn't lend itself and, and I wasn't getting much love and the idea of spending a year and a half on a book that nobody was going to read didn't really mm. appeal to me. And so I decided to change gears. Um, I have lots of stories I want to tell. This is, you know, this is just the latest. All right. So what's next on your hit parade then? I'm not entirely sure. Uh, actually, I have uh, somebody who has interest in maybe doing Johnny Lycan and, and the Anubis disc as a movie. So I think the next thing is take a kick at the script. Ooh. No guarantee it's going to happen, but that, that'll keep me off the street and out of trouble for a while. And then uh, I've got another historical fiction kind of idea that's kicking around. Now, in an ideal world, you have free reign to cast. Who are you casting in the movie? Funny you should ask, because I play this game a lot. <laughs> um, Johnny is hard to cast because he's 30 years old. And every time I have an actor in mind, you know, it's now he's too old to play the role, right? Uh, there's a kid on the CW, he's on the Flash series, named John Core, who I think would be absolutely terrific. Mr. Core, if you are listening. <laughs> Uh, I think he'd be great. The, the fun casting is there's a character who started in book one and she's in book two as well, Nurse Ball, who is an older woman that Johnny has a fairly wild fling with. And uh, there's an actress named Yancey Butler who I totally see Yancey Butler as Nurse Ball. <laughs> That's been kind of my guiding star, guiding star since I began. Yeah, I get, I get that picturing people while you're going. What about you, Steve? Did you ever cast your book? Not really so much during the writing itself, but uh, once I got into interviews, I was a, a question like, "Wow, who do you see? People want to get that visual image. And so I was like, huh, who am I? Um, <laughs> I eventually came up with um, a much more mature Jim Carrey, but in his younger self. So not quite so goofball-y, but definitely not a straight character gotcha 
Gotcha. Yeah, well, that certainly from uh, trying to understand your book and your characters without reading it, you know, it's, it's a common uh, interview question, shall we say. Like, are, who are we talking about here, just so I can picture it? Yeah. I don't know that that's necessarily the right choice, but I'm, I don't know enough care, uh, movie actors that would fit that. I mean, it's the closest I can come. All right. So we're the problem with casting Johnny is that he's very hairy and they make all the actors in Hollywood manscape. So they all have mm. bare chests. And that even spills over. If you look up Shapeshifter and Werewolf books on Amazon, they all use the same romance novel kind of hunky authors. And they're all, it's like they have to wax 27 days a month. <laughs> it's so hard to find a picture of a guy who could be Johnny. Because Johnny is a, you know, he's six, six feet, six one, 200 and something pounds. He's fuzzy. So maybe you'll have to use plugs or or like a chest toupee. Is that a thing? A chest toupee. Chest toupee. Hmm. I, I would say chest merkin, but half the people would be horrified and the other half have to look up what a merkin is and then they'd be horrified. So <laughs> I'm just going to say chest toupee will work. Nicely. We'll just stick with chest toupee. <laughs> I like that. Well, between the two of you, you've gotten quite a number of books under your belts. For all of those people out there who are still maybe just getting their positive COVID tests today, so they need to break out their pen and start writing their, their first COVID novel, how about some tips? Uh, Wayne, what would you say to a brand new writer? You're an accomplished writer at this point. What would you say to someone who's just holding that COVID test in their hand and popping out a well, pen? Well, the problem is that the, well, okay. So on the surface, it appears that the COVID test would be the problem because the first thing that I did when I started writing my first novel was I found writer and critique groups mm. and started schmoozing with other writers and reading their work and getting feedback. And then I'd bring in the first couple of chapters and get some feedback on that. Now, when COVID hit, the writers group that I was with here in Las Vegas, we went virtual. Mm -hmm. And so we've been able to kind of keep it going to some degree doing that virtually, but that whether you're doing it virtually or in person or sitting on Zoom or sitting on the couch with a glass of wine, talking to Stephanie, talking to writers and getting that, not only that feedback, but hearing it, it, different people's work is really, really important. There's this notion that writing is very lonely and you go down the silo and you, you know, live in a garret by yourself for six months. <laughs> and, and the truth of the matter is, I, I think writing for me is social. Typing is solitary. I mean, you got to be by yourself to right, right. bang out the words. But I think reading writing and talking about writing and having people recommend stuff and say, you know what this is like, this is like this, you should read this, mm -hmm. is incredibly powerful when you're first beginning. All right, so so Wayne's tip is is COVID be darned, make make some friends, get in a group and, and get get some of that good talent rubbing off on you. Virtual friends are friends. Do not, That's I am not, 
suggesting breaking quarantine and you know Wait, you becoming, and i are virtual friends so yes please, i have to i have to write my book i don't care if i'm typhoid mary no that is not what i am saying <laughs> no 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 virtual friends are friends i agree i absolutely agree how about you steve what would you say to our new writers just fresh off of covid well um i would agree with uh some of what wayne said for sure about having a support system and that writing in, a, in to a degree like other arts is very social in nature. So, you know, there's a context within that it exists and you have to address that, you know, why are you, who are you writing for? Mm -hmm. um, and, and having that support. So I was lucky in that uh, when I joined my first group uh, on Facebook, I had someone who's a friend of a friend popped up. And I'm like, oh, who could that be? So I messaged them and it turned out it was uh, uh, someone who worked with my aunt in Denver who was a writer and she had already written a dozen books. So I was like, oh, would you like kind of just help guide me? I, and and yeah. she said, yeah, absolutely. I actually have a writer's group. And so I was able to hop into something like that. I would say the other main thing, apart from obviously creating some uh, good habits about your writing, um, whatever those are for you, because they're not the same for everyone, doesn't necessarily mean writing every day. But um, definitely address that aspect of it. But more importantly, I think uh, the why. If you don't really have a why about what, what you're writing for, like, you know, either uh, to serve yourself or to share a message, mm -hmm. they probably it's going to fall flat because writing is tough. Writing is, is work as well. It takes a lot of work and it takes a huge amount of work to actually execute something from start to finish professionally and get it out to the market and continue to do that. And it's no piece of cake. No. There's not a financial reward like that for most writers. So if you, if you don't have a wide driving you, yeah, it might not be the right use of your time. I'm just saying, examine that a little bit. It's, it's not important. just the money. It's not just the money. It's a of the course time. So it, it, Somebody explained this once, and, and given my background, this made the most sense I ever heard. Writing a book is hard because it's like telling a joke and waiting a year and a half for the laugh. Mm, I like that. <laughs> I like that. It's like, here's my, here's my book. And then it, and maybe somebody reads it, and then they don't, and then they buy it, and then you hear from a total stranger a year later. <sighs> No, that is rough. You're absolutely rough. You're lucky if you hear from that total stranger. I always tell writers that I work with, you know, optimistically speaking, because I'm an optimist, that somewhere, you know. somewhere your book is touching, changing a life, affecting them. But we just need to know that. We need to throw that out in the universe and just accept that it did make an impact because you're never going to know. You're never going to get that phone call. Man. I think for first-time writers, there are three moments that are the biggest. The first is, and you may or may not get this. I mean, if you self-publish, you kind of skip this step. But if your book is accepted to be published, or even when they say, yeah, we're going to do your book, that's number one. Number two is the day that the books arrive, the proofs arrive in the box on your doorstep. That is the coolest thing ever. That's why people show videos of it on Twitter and they're crying and opening yeah. and weeping. But you open that box and I've written fiction and nonfiction now 15 books. 
when you open that box and open and that new book smell hits you, it's fabulous. And the third one is when you finally get a review that isn't somebody you know. Mm -hmm. yep. Because when you put a book out, especially for independent authors, you put a book on Amazon and it's tell everybody you know, I got to get reviews, I got to get them as soon as possible, you know, as my circle of writer friends grows it, you get more of those but as you go through you go okay I know that person I know that person that person only gave me a four the hell with them the, the, and you go down the list and then all of a sudden you see a name you don't recognize and it's like some complete stranger has gotten your book and liked it yes yes awesome moment you're so right yeah and those reviews are are meaningful not just for their um presence but the 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 uh what they share for us helps us as writers absolutely and helps other readers as well and it's so important i just i just wanted to encourage any readers watching this to please do review every you. book you know books it means so much to us and we appreciate Sorry. it and i Sorry. i read my reviews and i take them seriously and even think i thankfully haven't had but one bad review uh but I take them all seriously and I take them um, with a grain of salt, but I also look at any validity to them and I, I want to improve as a writer. So they're meaningful. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Let me ask you two one more question in this uh, precipice of the holiday season that we're going to be on, whatever holidays you might be celebrating could be festivus for all I know. A lot of people are going to be doing a lot of shopping. So Steve, can you start and tell me, who on my gift list, because I have a really long list, who on my gift list am I buying Greetings Planet Earth for? Can you describe the perfect person on my list? Yeah, someone who's a, a fan of science fiction and humor. I would say that um, Hitchhiker's Guide to the uh, Galaxy is a great kind of uh, segment. Fans of, of, as I'd mentioned before, offbeat humor like you know Monty Python or Firesign Theater. Uh, but um, probably geared a little bit towards a, a more mature audience, although the character protagonist is in his early 20s. Okay. Uh, it, I'm in my late 50s, so um, it's written more towards a, a later generation with a lot of, a few references to classics and things like that that some readers who haven't been exposed to that might not get. Okay, terrific. That pretty much describes who I'm shopping for. And how about you, Wayne? Who should I buy a copy of Johnny Lycan and the Vegas Berserker for? Yeah, I, I think the Johnny Lycan series, the, the easiest analogy, this is lazy, but I'm essentially lazy, um, <laughs> is if people read Jim Butcher, you know, the Harry Dresden series, uh, or Shane Silver, or any of those people who, you know, uh, the uh, Suki, uh, oh, I'm blanking, uh, the Charlene Harris series, uh, where it's vampires, those types of uh, readers who like a story that has fantastic elements, has uh, detective elements and some humor, although that's not the primary thing. Okay. Uh, I, I, you know, when I was writing the first book, I actually laughed out loud in the opening scene because he's just had this violent, horrible fight and he's a werewolf 
and he reaches for the door and you know how do you handle a doorknob when you've got seven inch fingernails mm -hmm. and and hair and so you know he just kicks somebody's butt but he's frustrated by the doorknob i think those types of things arise out of that so so people who enjoy that type of thing if you are watching uh you know the cabinets curiosity series on netflix uh you know that kind of thing uh and dresden files certainly right. i just watched my first episode of that so i would agree from the cover of what you said i would throw out uh, resident aliens and guardians of the galaxy as well for the on the movie tv side of things for for my books well, fantastic. I am ready to go shopping and I'm ready for the next in both of your series. So please promise you'll come back and uh, share your next books and keep on writing. Thanks so much for sharing your books, sharing your tips and inspiring a whole nother generation of COVID authors. Thank you, Stephanie. You're welcome. Thank, Thank you so much, lady. I really appreciate it.